Now dig this, Matt. Y'all know I love stationery. Y'all know I love to take notes. I love to write. I love to write on paper. I love to write notebooks. Matt, what'd you get me for Christmas this year? I got you notebooks and pens and organizers. Correct. I love it. Uh, And I find that it genuinely helps me remember things better as opposed to typing them or like putting them on a, like a text file or whatever, actually writing something down physically helps me a lot. It helps me organize my thoughts. It helps me get my work done. And ever since I got my new uh, iPad and I got the Apple pencil with it, I have been doing that on there and that's great. The only problem I've had with it, it doesn't quite feel like writing on paper, which is a feeling I like. We have the solution to that problem. That's right. Paper-like. As I mentioned at the top of the show, it's a screen protector for your iPad. It uses a proprietary technology called NanoDots. With those NanoDots, you feel the natural resistance of paper on your iPad screen. It is a paper-like feeling on your iPad. So if you're drawing, if you're taking notes, if you're using your iPad like you would a notebook... Here's the way for it to really feel natural. And Chris, I know you love that. You you have an iPad, you got a paper like, and I'm sure it's it feels just right for you. It does. It feels great to use. Also, Matt, you know I'm very particular about paper. I have yes. specific brands of notebooks that I will and will not use, and paper like feels good on the iPad. Uh they also make accessories for the pencil to make the pencil a little more comfortable to hold. They make uh, accessories to help you clean the iPad as well. They've got it all. The ability to handwrite notes in a digital form is great to begin with, but getting that extra tactile feeling that makes me happy while I do it, (laughs) that gives me that little dopamine, that little serotonin burst that I like to have, is fantastic. The latest version of the Paperlike is manufactured in Switzerland using high-quality plastic foils designed for maximum picture clarity. You're not going to lose any of the definition of your iPad screen if you put a paper-like on there. And these foils are developed exclusively for paper-like products. It also always comes in a set of two, so you have a spare. Look, we know a lot of artists listen to this show. If you're an artist and you're looking for a way to make drawing on your iPad feel a little bit better... This is how you do it. So, to pick up your Paperlike, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax, click Buy Paperlike, and select your iPad size. From now, right now, until the end of January, Paperlike is also including their Digital Pro Planner Bundle at no extra cost for every order placed through the Paperlike store. Plus, shipping is completely free. So if you're ready to do more with your iPad, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax, to get started. Clytus, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? Is that War Rocket Ajax to bring back his body? Hello everybody and welcome to War Rocket Ajax. This is the internet's most explosive comic book and pop culture podcast. We are your hosts. My name is Chris Sims. With me, as always, is Matt Wilson. Matt, how are you? I'm okay. I'm glad you're back. 
Last week was a fun episode where Daniel Kibblesmith and I chatted about lots of topics. But I am very glad uh, that you're you're back again this week. I'm I'm glad to be back, Matt. How are you feeling? Tired. Yeah. <laughs> Tired, which will become apparent for reasons that we will discuss uh, shortly. But I'm excited to be back on the show. Uh, I did uh, get to uh, see you recently, which was nice and very uh, energizing for me. Yes, we we went to a place that has become part and parcel of the lore of War Rocket Ajax and Snack Situation, JJ's Red Hots in Charlotte, North Carolina, home of some truly incredible onion rings, among other things. But people will find out about the, that in a while. Uh, this week on this show, we have a very fun episode for everybody. We must clear away the past to make way for the future, Chris. Which is why we're going to do some of the remaining Battle of the Decade submissions, which was our 2022 after interview segment slash game. So we can start doing the 2023 after interview segment, Thursday Night Raw, which you can, I think, present to the listeners this episode as well. We should do that at the end, then. Yes, stay tuned until the very end to learn about the 2023 after-interview segment, Thursday Night Raw. Yeah, it's it's a good one. You're all going to like it. It involves putting things on a ranked list. But Chris, before we get into some some final battles of the decades, we do have some business to take care of. And we haven't done this in a little while first order of business is thanking our newest supporters over on Patreon. Well, let's ring in 2023, Matt, with all the people who went down to the New Year's celebrations. You know where they were, Matt. They were at 620 Gimmick Street. Well, at 619 Gimmick Street, Uh huh. 619 Gimmick Street, which was last Booyaka, week, Booyaka. it was Booyaka Booyaka, Rey Mysterio's wrestling school oh i thought he lived there i thought it was his house house. yeah it's his house that dominic came to and ruined holidays did you do a a a bit last week when i was not on the show no because we didn't you you think the patreon supporters look matt you could if you wanted to i'm glad you didn't though i would i i would feel weird about it they're paying for a thanks from me, but from you as well. So I don't want to do it by myself. That's that's fair. That's fair. Uh, but no, we didn't do a bit last week. But what's at 620 Gimmick Street? Uh, 620 Gimmick Street is the fireworks stand. Oh, of course. Of course. Right across the street from Ray Mysterio's house. Right across the street from Ray Mysterio's. They sell fireworks and they sell a little trampoline that'll launch you into the air. Yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, of course it does. Of course it does. That's what's there. Okay. And when you go down there, when you, you're buying your supplies to celebrate the new year, uh, three weeks ago, you can also uh, connect to some Wi-Fi. There's great Wi-Fi there. A lot of businesses around there offer, offer Wi-Fi to people down on Gimmick Street, as you may or may not know. Uh, you can hop on that Wi-Fi, and you can uh, hop over to patreon.com slash Ajax 
where you can kick in as little as a dollar a month to uh, help support the show and help me and Matt pay those gimmicks they keep sending in the mail called bills. That's right, Chris. And here are our new patrons uh, since late December of 2022. Michael Costeva. Thank you, Michael. A.A. Thank you, double A. (laughs) Uh, Tim Pascoe. Thank you, Tim. Philip Ginder or Gender. I never know which one that is. Thank you, Philip. Martin Moretti. Thank you, Martin. Brian Orban. Thank you, Brian. And I believe that is everyone. There were weirdly a few repeated names in here. <laughs> so if I missed your name or uh, or something, uh, let me know. But I, there were a couple of patrons in here that I know had either started as a patron before or their name was repeated from another time that I can see. So if I missed reading your name on the show, do let me know. But those are the new patrons that – I think we've gotten in the last few weeks. If you would like to become a patron here on War Rocket Ajax and support this show, every story ever specials every month, comics catch up every month, movie fighters and snack situation, you can go, as Chris said, to patreon.com slash War Rocket Ajax and kick in as little as $1 per month to uh, help all those shows get made. As a patron, you get every single one of those shows absolutely ad free. Uh, you will get a special feed on Patreon with no ads. That's something every single patron gets. Other patrons get other cool stuff, like bonus content, whether it be stuff we record and put on there. Sometimes I'll put outtakes from the show on Patreon. Sometimes we'll do writing that will go on the Patreon. Chris has reviewed many video games. There's Patreon. more coming. I've had a I've had a time. There's more coming. I've only written one thing for the Patreon ever, but more will come potentially. And uh, all of that stuff is over on the Patreon for our patrons. You also get line stepping privileges for our uh, segments, upcoming Thursday Night Raw, ongoing every story ever, and uh, there are physical rewards in there too. I still have some t-shirts to send, some of last year's t-shirts to send. So uh, if I haven't gotten one to you, uh, apologies. I'll try my best to get one to you by the end of January or sometime in February. Uh, I'll try my best. I've also had a time uh, lately. But if you are unable to help us on Patreon, which not everybody has monetary resources well right now we understand that you can help us out in other ways you can leave us a five-star review on the podcasting app that you use or you can tell your friends about the show on social media or when you see them in person just let them know about a podcast that you like and uh, and send them our way that would be very helpful as well with that chris it is time for checks and recs what do you say Let's do it. Chris, what are you checking in with this week? Well, Matt, like I said, I had a time. You and I 
I think, have a, uh, a well-earned reputation for being people on, on this show who only enjoy feeling the good emotions. <laughs> yeah. Uh, me, me more so than you, because uh, you, like, you like those scary movies. I, I am more willing to feel some emotion other than uh, good emotion at times. Not always, but occasionally. Yeah, which is frankly pretty fucked up of you, honestly. <laughs> we, we try to keep this show a bummer-free zone when we can, but th- this one's going to be a bit of a bummer. Uh, the reason I was not on the show last week, Matt, is uh, because a uh, friend of mine passed away. I was uh, pretty broken up about it, and I ended up going to uh, back to South Carolina for the first time in a while to go to his funeral. Um, it was Jim Shelley, who some of you may remember if you were around uh, a while back as uh, the the person who did the Flashback Universe or the, the Cap versus Bat stuff. Uh, you might know him as uh, the writer along with uh, his daughter Hagen of uh, North Stars, which is a really, really great uh, Christmas comic. Jim was also the first person to ever pay me to write comics. And that meant uh, a lot to me back then and now. Trying to become a professional writer is difficult, as some of you may know. To have someone put a value on my work that I absolutely would have done for free meant a lot to me uh, when he did that. He was always very encouraging, a, a, a great dude. Had cancer for eight years, stage four cancer. Uh, you know, lived a lot longer than anyone expected, but still his uh, his death came as, as a shock and as just a, a, a real bummer to me. The upside... To this is that uh, I did go back to Columbia, and I, I attended his uh, memorial service, and I did what I think Jim would have wanted me to do on that occasion, which is that I saw all my friends. You know, I, I grabbed lunch with you. I, f- I flew into Charlotte, and you drove down, and our buddy Ben drove over from Greensboro. Down in Columbia, I saw all the you know the people I used to work at the comic book store with that that I was and and am pretty tight with. Uh, all of us much older now. All of us married. Some of us with children. I, I got to to hang out with uh, Chad Bowers, who you know my longtime co writer and longtime friend, uh, who we started writing together because of Jim. Got to see him and and spend some time, uh, literally. Complaining about identity crisis, the literal same conversation we've been having for 18 years. Circumstances aside, uh, the experience of it was good. As, as cliche as it is, I think we all came away from from that, you know, want you, you know, resolving to be better about staying in touch with with friends. Uh, I'm uh, most of uh, the, the folks I saw; they still live in in Colombia. Uh, I'm the one who moved. 1400 miles north i i saw all my old friends that you know and and again this is this is deep lower rocket ajax continuity but i worked at that comic book store for seven years and i got so much out of that job non-monetarily but i got so many friendships uh and so much love of this medium and this thing that we talk about jim was a big part of that so 
it was ultimately the experience that I needed to uh, feel more okay and and feel you know remind myself that uh, Chad uh, said this and was very smart like it's not that my life is is poorer for Jim's absence it's that it's richer for having had him in it and uh, yeah that's that that's absolutely the case that's where I was and that is why I'm maybe a little bit uh, sad sounding still but it was incredible to see everybody it was incredible to see you Matt I, I think you were the person I had seen most recently because you came to visit up here mm-hmm. uh, as you know I always love seeing you I always love spending time with you that aspect of it was very very nice and you were part of that so thank you for that and thank you for helping me feel a lot better than i had since i got the news about jim i'm glad it was able to be a cathartic experience for you the whole thing uh that Absolutely. is that is good to hear what have you been up to in the past week man well chris you'll be happy to hear about this because i decided that the first few weeks of 2023 were going to be my opportunity to catch up on what i would call the chris games Okay. The games you had recommended that I had either tried to play and bounced off of at first or had just hadn't got around to. Oh man, does this so, mean I actually Bloodborne again? Maybe. Oh. I, I will say, okay, so one of the games that I bought and played was Tunic because it was on sale. On the Yeah boy. Eshop. And I'm not totally finished with it yet, but I've I've played most of it. I've gotten to the point where I know how to do those puzzles that you see everywhere, and you don't know they're puzzles until you know they're puzzles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's I got, literally the entire game. <laughs> yeah. I Well, yes. But I got the some of the last manual pages. For listeners who don't know what Tunic is, it's a Zelda-like, although... I think Zelda-like is maybe a little too reductive to call that game, because Zelda games usually don't... You don't go back to dungeons after you finish them. Yeah. You do everything in a dungeon in one go in a Zelda game. Tunic insists that you come back. It's it's a Zelda with Metroidvania elements built in. It is a Metroidvania, but instead of speaking the language of Super Metroid, it speaks the language of Zelda. Definitely, yeah. And one of the things you do throughout the game is you collect the pages of the manual to the game. And as you collect those pages, you learn about things you could have been doing the whole time <laughs> that you didn't know you could be doing. Yeah. And... I and also a lot of it is in a another language. Did you ever translate translate the language, Chris? I didn't translate it myself because that is uh, a lot of work. Yeah. Once you you finish the game and and get the whole manual, uh, I I would suggest uh, going online and and reading uh, a, a translation. It it's most of what it says is pretty self explanatory, but like there's. There's story stuff that will become apparent as you play the game that is like explicitly spelled out if you take the time to decode everything. Okay. I, I have not gone out of my way to do that. 
like you said, most of the stuff in the manual is pretty self-explanatory in the bits that are in English and through just the visuals of it. So, mm-hmm. yes, I, I have collected most of the manual pages. I think I'm missing just like three or four or yeah, like three or four collectibles and that's, that's it. Um, and really all I have left to do narratively is the final boss fight, but there's so much other stuff to do that I know is out there. Like collecting those gold treasures finding some more collectibles that are in the game. Chris, I'm glad you recommended it so highly because it got me to play it. Yeah, nobody ever uh nobody ever sends in sends it in for the Gordies, but I always pick a uh game of the year in case it ever comes up. And uh Tunic far and away game of the year uh of, of 2022, the just an incredible video game experience. I'm really glad that you picked it up and enjoyed it. Yeah. I don't know if you are as close to the end of that game as you think. But we'll oh. see. Okay. Okay. Uh, I also have played through, decided to go back and play through Blasphemous, which I buy, which I bought like three years ago uh-huh. and started playing it. And I was like, oh, I went to a place I shouldn't have and I'm dying a lot and I don't want to play anymore. <laughs> but I started over from the beginning and went on the more direct path that the game wants you to go on and just because of that one change i was able to get through the game pretty breezy like i didn't quite 100 percent it but i got damn close and yeah. uh that's a good one too that and and that's a game where it's like there's different ways to play it and the the way to get I, I think there's like a true ending you can get that yeah. is just like I, I found out about it and I was like, I will never do that. That's not that's that's not happening. Yeah. For you boy. I, but you brought up Bloodborne. You so much of both of those games, Chris, the fact that you like them a lot, I as I was playing them and I was like, how has Chris not played a Dark Souls? Like every boss fight in Tunic is a Dark Souls boss fight. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it's mad. It's because I can only think in two dimensions at a time, <laughs> as you know. Uh, no, like I, I did get Elden Ring. Okay, I did go ahead. I bought Elden Ring for the uh, for the deck, and I feel like if there's one that's gonna get me, that's probably the one. It is more forgiving because it's it's a big open world. So, mm-hmm. I hope it does. I hope I hope you let you end up liking Elden Ring. It's just I, it's, I like it's got that turtle in it. So, yeah. I, you got to get to that turtle. So, hopefully you'll you'll get there. Uh it's it would have been my game of 2022, uh Elden Ring. So, I hope I hope you you get a kick out of playing it. You can watch all those lore videos that I like now. Yeah. Uh, all right, Chris. Let's make some. You know, I love lore, Matt. I I love lore. C- call me Doctor Noonien Sung, because <laughs> I still love lore. 
and data. You love data and lore. I I love all those things. Not a big fan of B4. <laughs> Chris, let's make some recommendations. What do you have to recommend? Uh, Matt, I would like to re-recommend something. Okay. I, I was going to say unprecedented, but it's not. It's definitely so, not unprecedented. I recommended Persona 5 like 18 times last year. Uh, and Persona 3 is out now. The re-release of Persona 3 Portable has happened. I haven't played it yet. Don't have it yet. That's not the rec. What I'd like to re-recommend, because I've spent a considerable amount of time with it that I hadn't the first time I recommended it, is uh, the game Vampire Survivors. I've talked about it before. It was recommended to me by a listener of the show who literally told me, like, hey, this game's five bucks. If you don't like it, I will give you five bucks. Uh, And I bought it. Uh, Why didn't I get that offer? What the fuck? I, I don't know. Did you do you? I mean, Matt, I'll make you that offer right now. <laughs> it's fine. It's whatever. But that's I weird. Mean, look, to me. I, well, I think the offer is because it is. I mean, look, I know you like Castlevania, but I think between the two of us, I'm the one who is known as the Castlevania liker. Okay, I didn't know that Vampire Survivors was a Castlevania like thing. I've I always well, heard it was the reverse bullet hell. It is. It's a reverse bullet hell. But yeah. it is a reverse bullet hell that is heavily inspired by Castlevania. I uh, see. In the same way that, like, Tunic speaks the language of Zelda, Vampire Survivors speaks the language of Castlevania. Uh, in that, like, many of the enemies are very recognizable uh, as being very similar to enemies from uh, Castlevania. Many of the weapons, like there's a cross-shaped boomerang. Like it is, it is a very heavily Castlevania-inspired, completely different game. It is by no means a Metroidvania. It is a uh, reverse bullet hell is the exact way to put it. It's funny because I shouldn't like this game as much as I do because the object of this game is to essentially get the game to the point where it plays itself. All you do is move. All of the weapons fire automatically. All you do is move. And over the course of getting more weapons, upgrading the weapons, you eventually, you are the bullet hell. You are the one emitting the uh, completely bananas amount of projectiles while you are being swarmed by an even more ridiculous amount of enemies. So here's the thing. That's It's pretty fun. I played it a couple times. I was like, oh, okay, cool. I get it. This is a nice little you know, shallow, but uh, well done and rewarding distraction. Lots of bright colors, lots of uh, flashing lights. Hits that dopamine trigger. Awesome. Then I went back to it because I, you know, I always need something to, to occupy my mind. And that's when I realized the almost Hadesian, Hadesian, uh, amount of stuff to unlock and explore in this game. In that there are like 30 playable characters, each of whom specializes in a different one of these weapons, and each of the, whom has a different sort of additional ability. The stages have secrets on secrets on secrets. There are so many different weapons. There's so many different menus to unlock that change how this game is played. And none of them really change how it's played. You know, the the 
all you do is move and and choose what weapons you want. That's the whole thing. But the way it is all changed and the way that it is like it you get the list of things that you can do to unlock and then you get the list of secrets and the list of secrets are riddles uh like one of them i will spoil for you uh it says you know to unlock this thing uh you have to go be a good boy in a particular level and that's an interesting one to try and figure out until you unlock the playable dog who fights vampires by tooting at him. <laughs> he runs and little like little flowers come out of his little little butt. And that's the weapon that he uses and the weapon that you unlock by using him. Uh, so also, yeah, this game has a little white dog that fights vampires. It has, it has a biscuit in it, which is very good and very exciting for me personally. This game's fully worth five bucks. And Matt, if you want the offer, I will make it to you right now. You'll think you get it, but you don't quite get it yet. And uh, before, if you play it and you don't like it, before you, you want me to give you the $5, go into the bestiary and read the descriptions of the, the monsters, which are legitimately some of the funniest writing I have ever encountered in a video game. Excellent work to Vampire Survivors. Uh, another excellent game of 2022. Uh, definitely get this game. Like, I have... I have gone from thinking like, oh, okay, that was that was a, a fun little little arcade game type thing, to loving and kind of obsessing over it over the past little bit. What platform are you playing it on? I've got it on the on the deck, but I believe it's on other things. I, I there's an iOS version. I want to know if the iOS version is worth playing, or if I should get it somewhere else. I mean, that's it, my big it, question. It absolutely is. Is seems like it is playable on iOS. I would maybe get it on something with a an analog, a physical analog stick you can use. Okay, fair enough. But yeah, it's literally like you move with the analog stick. You make choices with the uh, the A button, and that is it. That is the the limit of controls, and the amount of stuff that it does with that is truly staggering. Okay, and I'm I'm my curiosity is peaked. Chris, my recommendation, we talked about only wanting to feel the good emotions earlier. This is a animated film on internet flickering pictures mm. that will not make you feel good emotions. In fact, it is almost certainly one of the most emotionally manipulative things I've ever seen. <laughs> but it's gorgeous and done really well. It is Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. The okay. stop motion animated Pinocchio movie that actually tells well, it's it's not the actual like original Italian story of Pinocchio because it this is set like 60 years later than the original Pinocchio because Mussolini's in it. <laughs> okay. But, yeah. Uh but it is uh, much truer, I think, to the original Italian story than like the Disney version of Pinocchio. It's directed by Guillermo del Toro and Mark Gustafson, who is an animator. I'm sure you've seen his animated work in the past. It's 
really astonishing how good the stop motion animation in the movie is. And the story is, it, you, you will cry. <laughs> That's, I, I can't imagine somebody watching this and not, uh, not shedding a tear or two uh, by the end. It's, it, it is emotionally manipulative, but also like truly beautiful in, uh, in a lot of ways. And as a sub wreck, I would like to recommend that after you watch the movie on Netflix, uh, to watch a video on YouTube that sort of digs into lots of different uh, adaptations of Pinocchio. Channel that it is from is called Quality Culture, and the video is called Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio Might Be the Best Adaptation. Uh, it is a great examination of various adaptations of Pinocchio over the years and how they differ from the original story. There's a lot of stuff in there about how Italians specifically hated the Disney version of Pinocchio. Uh, so I watched Pinocchio on Netflix, Guillermo de Toro's Pinocchio, and then watch that quality culture video about all the various Pinocchio adaptations over the past hundred years or so. Uh, it's definitely worth it. But Chris, you will not necessarily feel a good emotion mm. watching it. So mm, that, that's like your that. fair warning. Yeah. That's your warning. With that, Chris, it's time to talk about some comics. What do you say? Let's do it. Chris, you've been busy, so I'm going to talk to you about some of the comics that came out this week. Great. And I will start with Wasp number one. This is the first issue of the new Wasp series by uh, Al Ewing, and also artist uh, Kazia Nee, or Nai. I'm not exactly sure how to say it, but... Uh, I, I really like uh, the art in this book. It's there seems to be a new standard methodology for a single character Marvel ongoing book now, where the character sets up a new base of operations from which they do everything. And then, uh, like, builds connections with their community. Because we talked about, we've talked about Moon Knight, the new Moon Knight series, where he's got, you know, his office that he operates out of. The new Scarlet Witch series is all about her operating a bookstore. And this Wasp series sets up a situation where Janet Van Dyne has opened a rooftop, but well, it's not a rooftop bar, but it's a bar in a former Avengers headquarters that is going to be her base of operations where she hangs out with Jarvis. Okay. There's also a lot in this issue about her hanging out with Nadia. It's, it's definitely a Jan and Nadia book. And 
it goes back to Jan's origin story as Wasp with the death of her father. And it's going to dig into that more. And because it's Al Ewing, it's kind of immortal Hulkish. Okay. And Chris, I'll let you read the book to determine what that means to you. But I have to say, despite this being an Al Ewing written comic, I did not suspect there would be immortal Hulk elements in it. Uh, but there are certainly by the last page reveal. So it's very exciting. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really into uh, Kazia. I think it might be Nye Kazia Nye's art in here. They do a great job. So uh, the new Wasp series so far, so good. Uh, Enjoying it from the beginning of a series to the end. Strange number 10 is the last issue. No. Well, it's it's the last issue, but a new Doctor Strange series starts in like a month. <laughs> okay. All right. Should, you know, should have seen that one coming. Uh, but also still written by Jed McKay. So, you know, that's how it goes. I wasn't necessarily going to talk about this issue, Chris, because... We've talked about this book a lot, and I'm trying to take the feedback and spread out and have more variety of the the stuff we talk about. But this is the last issue of the series by Jed McKay and Marcelo Ferreria, and it features a moment in which Clea and Doctor Strange do their version of the fusion dance, which is Kiss, and merge into one celestial being. Okay. Just called Strange. Okay. Yeah. All right. And it fucking rules, dude. Matt, you know that I've, I've, like I always say, more American superhero comics should do shit like Dragon Ball. <laughs> they spend the whole issue fighting a zombie sentry. And. <laughs> They vaporize that motherfucker. It's great. I I loved this. It does that Marvel comic shit where once they merge into Strange, part of its body is a star field. Yeah. Dog. (laughs) I love that. Dog. They, They go, Eternity! Like, is there anything more Marvel comics than that? No. Yeah. I don't think so. Damn. It's good. I've I've enjoyed this book from the get-go. And uh this is this is no different. It's 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 the best. It's great. The ending I mean, is great. The only thing more Marvel comics than that is someone like fighting a fight they can't win, but darn it, they just won't give up. Yeah, that's true. That's the there, most Marvel Comics thing. There are a couple dudes who do that sometimes, uh, but yeah, strange. It was it was great. I'm looking forward to the new Doctor Strange book when it launches, but Strange with Clea in it was exceptionally good. I'm I am somewhat sorry to see it go. Uh, so bittersweet uh, that. Finally, I want to talk about. 
Lazarus Planet Assault on Krypton, which is the first kind of tie-in one-shot in the Lazarus Planet event. Chris, last week I talked with Daniel about Lazarus Planet Alpha, which was the kickoff of this DC event, and I actually liked it. It's a DC event I enjoy. It's fun. Lazarus juice is Lazarus pit juice is falling all over the planet. It's raining everywhere because of the events of uh, Batman versus Robin and of also spinning out of world's finest. Man, I definitely did not know Lazarus juice was, was, was involved. Oh yeah. That's, that's this whole event. Lazarus juice is everywhere. And it's giving people powers. So this does book, anybody in the book go, oh man, this Lazarus juice is everywhere. <laughs> if I were writing one of these tie-in stories, I would say that. DC Comics, my promise to you, I would bring up the Lazarus juice. Uh, so anyway, this is a collection of short stories, an anthology book about different characters dealing with the Lazarus juice. And the first one is uh, by Nicole Maines and Skylar Partridge. It's all about the character Dreamer, who I'm not super familiar with. Uh, I I know she emerged out of Batman's dreams. Oh, okay. Wait, Dreamer like like post-zero hour dream girl? I guess that's that's who she is. I don't. Nia Nall is her name. Oh yeah, yeah. That's 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 Dreamer from the Legion. Okay, great. So she's trying to find Doctor Hate Doctor Fate's helmet because it is a key component of this story, and that it ends. This story ends with only the beginning because we barely get much of her searching for Doctor Fate's helmet. All of these stories are kind of like not a whole lot, but you know, that's how it goes. The second story is about Jonathan Kent, Superman. Uh, it's written by C.S. Pacat and Scott Godlewski. It's titled Electric, and it's about Jonathan Kent meeting a dude that gets powers from the Lazarus juice and uh, them kind of having like a romantic spark, but the, this guy who ends up being, being named Ash because he gets volcano powers, uh, you know, being a bad guy. So Jonathan Kent has a bad boy that he's into. And that's that story. It's also a big trick because electric blue Superman is on the cover of this issue and he is not in the issue. I mean, that is, that's, that's a, that's a horrible trick to play on me specifically. Yeah, this would have been the texture choice of this week because of that nasty trick that it pulls. Uh, there's a story in here about Lex Luthor and Mercy, uh, written by Frank Barbier with art by Sammy Bassery. Uh, and in it, Mercy gets powers from not just Lazarus Juice, but Lazarus Lightning, where she can form her body into weapons. Which is pretty like cool. Guy Gardner, yeah, kind of like Guy Gardner, yeah, kind of like Guy Gardner Warrior with his uh, Voldavian bloodline, yeah, Voldarian. Yeah. I don't know. She I can, can text David Wolken and find out, but I'm not gonna. 
Mercy can make her her arms into any weapon she chooses, essentially, mm. now. The, you, Matt, you know what this sounds a lot like to me? What's that? Sounds a lot like Bloodlines. It kinda. It kinda is. Sounds a lot like it the is. events of Bloodlines, which gave us Gunfire, the man who can turn anything into a gun. <laughs> the best and dumbest superpower of all time. The last story in here is a Power Girl story, uh, written by Leah Williams with art by Marguerite Sauvage. Ooh. And once again, it's about our lead character, in this case Power Girl, meeting a someone of the same sex in this case it's a it's a woman who can read minds and they have a little bit of a romantic spark and you wonder where it's gonna go and we, we won't know until lazarus planet omega and action comics number 1051 and f- find out in bloodlines number seven it's exactly that i i am having fun with lazarus planet in a way i have not had fun with any DC event in quite some time. <laughs> so, you know what? They didn't cu- they didn't call it Lazarus Crisis and they could have. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It makes me want to go back and read Batman versus Robin, which I did not read as it was coming out. Oh, it's good. It's really good. Uh but it the fact that it's largely spinning out of World's Finest with the Devil Neja I like that. I know you like that, dude. Yeah. Oh, Wade wrote Batman vs. Robin, too. Okay. Yeah, yeah I should go back really and read it. Well, that's the reason that there's so much Lazarus juice everywhere. Oh, man. Lazarus juice everywhere. Yeah. Gross. All right, Chris. Have you seen my Lazarus juice? I can't. You got to put it back in the fridge after you drink it. Chris, that's our comic segment. Let's do some Battles of the Decades. What do you say? Let's do it. Chris, I feel like we have an audience that is especially suited to be interested in our sponsor, Paperlike. We do a podcast that's mostly about comic books. We have a lot of artists who listen to the show. And the Paperlike screen protector for the iPad makes writing and drawing on an iPad feel like you're writing and drawing on paper. That's right, Matt. Now dig this. I'm a note taker. I'm a notebook guy. I'm a stationary guy, a pen guy. But ever since I got the new iPad with the Apple Pencil, I've loved taking notes on it. The only thing that stops me is that it doesn't feel like writing on paper, which I love. I love that feeling. It's one of the reasons that I take notes so much and write down on paper. But with paper-like, I get that feeling with the convenience, the editability, everything that I love about taking notes on the iPad with the Apple Pencil, I get with the feeling of writing on paper, which sounds so simple, but is so very nice. And if you're wondering how Paperlike makes it feel like that, they have this technology. It's a proprietary technology called NanoDots, and that creates the natural resistance of paper while you're writing on your iPad screen. It's pretty amazing. And even if you're not an artist, even if you're just a person who likes to take notes, who needs to write things down to remember them, 
you're gonna really, I think, like the feel of having this on your iPad. And Chris, I know you've been using yours. It was so weird when I started taking notes on the iPad, because as much as I like the convenience, it's weird to see my handwriting and notice the differences between when I have that resistance and when it's moving across something so smooth. We're we're 40, you and I, right now. <laughs> yeah. I've been writing on paper for a long time, so it took me a minute to really get used to. With Paperlike, though, I get to just have that same feeling that feels so familiar, feels so comfortable. But I get to erase when I write a letter that looks weird, which I do in paper notebooks all the time. I can never get my B to look right. You know? My my B always looks weird. What Like, I get it right one out of seven times. With paper, like, I get the feeling of writing on paper, but I get to go back and fix it if I don't like the way that B looks. And that's nice. That's important to me. I know I sound like I'm obsessing, but that's the kind of product this is. If you are the person who obsesses over the feeling of writing on paper, like I do, then th- you will love it. The latest iteration of Paperlike is manufactured in Switzerland using high-quality plastic foils that are designed for maximum picture clarity. They're not going to obscure the image on your iPad. And every paper light comes in a set of two. So if you need to replace it, or if you have two iPads, you will have two paper likes to put on your screen. Here's what you need to do. To pick up your paper like, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax, click buy paper like, and select your iPad size. If you're ready to do more with your iPad, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax to get started. first Battle of the Decades email comes to us from Nick Netzel, who gave us four choices to pick from. Okay. So I'm just going to read all of them to you, and then we're just going to pick one and do it. Okay. Pop music versus TV sitcoms. Thanos versus Darkseid. Across all media. Garfield versus Heathcliff. Spider-Man's logo versus Batman's logo. Damn, those are all really good. Those are all really, really good. We've You and me have to do the logos. Okay, I think we should also do Thanos versus Darkseid. But, I mean, I would do all four of these, Matt. But the logos one, like, you know that I have strong feelings. All right, let's, let's hop back. Let's do Thanos versus Darkseid first, because I think it's easy. And then we can really dig into the logos. Okay, so we're starting in the 70s. That's, yeah, when Darkseid is created. When Thanos is created. So Yeah, yeah. Darkseid in, Dark in, in, what, 71? And then Thanos uh, a couple years later. Yeah. Honestly, I think Thanos maybe probably only wins one decade. Uh I I think maybe more than that, but I th- Darkseid definitely wins the 70s. Yes, I think Darkseid uh, also wins the 80s. Darkseid also wins the 80s cuz Hunger Dogs comes out in the 80s. He sat that fucking chair. Oh man, he did sit in that fucking chair. I 
I cannot think about Darkseid without thinking about him sitting in that armchair. <laughs> he does that in the seventies and the eighties. <laughs> but I'm not talking about a cool I'm not talking about like a cool space armchair. I'm talking about like a chair in a house. Yeah. Yeah. He he just shows up in your house. And he showed up uh, working at McDonald's that one time in Ambush Bug. <laughs> That's right. In the 80s. One of the best things John Byrne ever did was draw well, Darkseid sitting in that chair. I mean, yes. It is a reference to Darkseid doing that in New Gods. Yeah. It, right. Like Kirby has him doing that too. But but Byrne fully brings it back and makes it like a thing that he does. That's that story. I remember being really hard for us to rank because it is a John Byrne story. Yeah. But it sure does have some good shit in it. it it's He's got like a glass of cognac oh, the, sitting the, in that chair. The drink that he has. And he's so yeah. fucking happy. Yeah. So fucking pleased with himself. Oh, yeah. It's Dark Side wins the 80s. Easy. Thanos wins the 90s. Thanos That's wins the decade. 90s. I mean, Darkseid in the 90s has Rock of Ages, and that's... I mean, there's, you know, there's other stuff, but, like, it's kind of just Rock of Ages, right? Yeah, and Thanos has Infinity Gauntlet. Yeah. His best story by a long shot. The 2000s, I think, is tough. The 2000s has Final Crisis. Ooh, okay, yeah. Two thousands does have Final Crisis. Does Thanos like Thanos? Isn't really in much. I don't. I, there's that. There's. I mean, there's the Jim Starlin like Marvel the End, and then he does like a. It's like a Thanos miniseries that are both pretty good. Yeah, twenty tens Thanos definitely makes a run for. Oh, twenty tens Thanos wins. You think so? Yeah, like the oh, the two thousands. Just based on Infinity War. Well, the 2000s, you've got, like, uh, Justice League, the uh, Justice League Unlimited, and Superman the Animated Series. Yeah. Which might have actually been the late 90s, but you've got that incredible uh, episode of Superman the Animated Series where they do the the death of of Dan Turpin and and Darkseid. Michael Ironsides is Darkseid. Michael Ironsides, which sounds like a Jack Kirby character. Yeah, man. If I knew the death of one of them would have hurt you this much, I would have killed a thousand. Like, that kicks ass. But I mean, you know, Infinity Gauntlet. The 2000s has New 52 Darkseid. Yes, but it's also got Final Crisis. It's, uh, no, I mean the 2010s. The 2010s has, has uh, New 52 oh, yeah, Darkseid. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry, yeah, sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, that's, that's yeah. 2011. 2011, yeah. That's how we start off that decade, and that's just like, bleh. It tried to come back with Baby Darkseid. It did try to come back with baby with Batman pulling Baby Darkseid out of his backpack and saying, stand back, I know how to use this. Yeah. But I think, I think yeah, Thanos, by virtue of the fact that Darkseid really takes a step down in the New 52. Yeah. Thanos wins the 2010s. Because there are some good comics with Thanos in the 2010s, and there's yeah. Infinity War. Yeah, and, and he's the bad guy in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and is... I mean, Darkseid's kind of the bad guy in the DC movies, too. Oof. You know, Oof. When, you watch that, when you watch that Snyder Cut, and it's got sexy granny goodness in it for a minute. 
And Darkseid. <laughs> and Darkseid. Okay, yeah, okay, so Thanos takes two of the decades. He takes the 90s and the 2010s. Yeah. And uh, 20, 2020s so far, who's to say? All right, now we can go back to Spider-Man's logo versus Batman's logo. The thing is, with the exception of a period in the 80s, Spider-Man's logo doesn't really change. That Okay, I don't think that's necessarily true. There's a lot of different Spider-Man logos I think we can look at. There's fewer Batman logos we can look at, but there are a variety. But well, like, hold on. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay. Which logo are we talking about? Are we talking about the logo on the cover of the comic? Or are we talking about the logo on their chest? I'm assuming we're talking about the logo on the cover of the comic. Because the logo I, on the chest doesn't really change that much. The logo, Batman's does a lot. Batman's does, Well, Batman's doesn't until the 90s, when it starts changing a lot. Yeah. I don't know why my head immediately went to the symbol on their chest. But we're talking about, like, the trade dress. We're talking about the masthead. Yeah. The logo we're that's talking, on the cover. Okay. Okay. So in the 60s, you've got the classic Spider-Man arc logo, The Amazing yeah. Spider-Man. The what, best. What are the best. And just like like m- much like Spider-Man's costume, I feel like it shouldn't work, right? Like it shouldn't be as good as it is, but it's sure good. It th- when it's on the cover with the webs around it, it's unbeatable. <laughs> you like the webs? Yeah. Mm. I think I always like about that logo is like to me it is like Spider-Man is the quintessential Marvel comic to me, like way more than than FF has ever been. The Spider-Man logo being the literal inverse of the Superman logo. Mm-hmm. The Superman has the upwards arc and the Spider-Man logo has the downwards arc. I always thought that was fun. I always thought that was cool. Yeah. Uh, Batman in the 60s has a variety of logos, but I would say like the primary one is the like TV show logo. Right, where it's Batman's head. Uh-huh. And the word Batman inside his wings, the wings. There are a few different versions of that. Yeah. Uh the the TV show logo is kind of like the letters are kind of all stylized and spooky. Mm-hmm. There's a version of that logo where Batman is separated into two words. Which I've never understood how they let that happen. Yeah. And then mm. I guess it's the it's more of a 70s logo where the letters of Batman are like block letters, but they're altered to fit inside the wings. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a cape. It yeah. It's his cape. Right, yeah. They're they're made to look like bat wings in the logo, but yes. I would say the seventies, the amazing Spider Man logo remains the same. It but does. then you get the the Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider Man logo, which is trash. Yeah, it's not good. Is bad. The that R that R, I think. D- did we talk to Jerry Conway about that? Because, <laughs> like, I know that he has said. I don't think it was us. I think it was just in another interview that I read with him. 
Like, he has said that that R in that logo drove him insane. It's terrible. Yeah. It's a bad logo. It's so distracting. And and it's it's trying to do a version of the inverted or the the upwards arc of Amazing Spider-Man, but that uh-huh. one doesn't work. No, it really doesn't. Yeah. It's I mean the title is too long. The the Peter whole, the, Parker the Spectacular Spider-Man? Yeah. When they just made it Spectacular Spider-Man, it was much better. PPSSM? Yeah, PPSSM. Um, so wait, are we saying, did we say Spider-Man won the sixties? I think Spider-Man wins the sixties. Yeah. I do too. Yeah. Batman. If we're, if we're just going by their new logos from each decade, I think Batman's logo in the seventies is better. Batman in the seventies is pretty good. Like the, you get a little, like on detective, you get a little bit of the evolution of the, you know, different version of Batman in his cape. Uh, with the words in the cave. Uh, but the logo on Batman is... It's fine. It's not like... It, it wins by not being bad, like the Peter Parker logo. Yeah, I mean... I, I like the version where it's Batman's head and the the letters fill the cape. Like in the, the Demon of Gotham's Mansion cover. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 70s, you also really got that logo where it's block letters that are separated by his head, so it says Bat Space Man. And that's not his name. And I don't know why they did that for so long. Yeah, that, that logo is not so good. But th- that's the um, the famous Joker with the ace card with Batman on it cover logo. Yeah. But... I do like the Detective Comics logo from the 70s. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty good, yeah. Uh, 80s. Spider-Man uh, doesn't really change. Uh, you get the Web of Spider-Man logo in the 80s. Yeah, I have to remind myself what that looked like. It's very blocky. Spider- like. In my recollection, it's, oh, yes, I remember that logo. Okay. In my recollection, it just it it was just the Amazing Spider-Man logo, but web of. I forgot mm-hmm. about the one where it's like the block letters that are like you're seeing them from above. Yeah, um, yeah, that logo is not not the best. On Batman comics in the '80s, you get the just block text logo with no no Batman shapes, no Batman behind it, uh, kind of like what they did for Batman '89. Just they drop the image of Batman and just make it say Batman in big letters, which I actually do kind of love. Like on the year one covers. Like on the year one covers, yeah. Yeah. By the late 80s, you've got the Batman logo where it's like a serif font and the B is a little bigger than the rest of the letters. Now, I like that when it, like, I mean, like... Mark your calendars, folks, because I'm about to say it. I like that when it comes back with Hush, and it's got the angle to it. Like, I think that's really good. Yeah. Uh, but, like, I I do kind of love just... Just, that's what it is. That's Batman. That's a Batman comic. They wrote Batman on it. Yeah. It's just, hey, here's Batman. Yeah. 
hey, it's Batman. It's that Some, guy. Sometimes there's a bat symbol behind it, but sometimes it's just Batman. Yeah. In lettering. Now, now here's where it's gonna. Here's where it gets rough, bud. Who who's, who did we say wins wins the eighties? Is it Batman? I think Batman wins the eighties. They're both like they're very comparable. Like it's you know it's all the design sense of the era, I guess. So like you know, Web of Spider Man gets that blocky text logo. Yeah, and and so does Batman. Uh, but I, I like the Batman one better. Nineties uh, are where things get rough for Spider Man for sure, because you get uh, that awful creepy lettering. With Batman, it becomes the font for the the other three Burton Schumacher movies. That that one typeface that they use for like you know, if you think of the logo of Batman and Robin, the film, it's that. But it, you know, but for everything, right? It's that weird futuristic lettering. Yeah, that isn't. In and of itself, bad, but I don't like it. It's such a it's such a font, you know. It's very much a font. Yes. I th- that said, through the early nineties, Batman retained that kind of just like italics. The B is slightly bigger than the rest of the lettering logo. Yeah. Spider-Man had that terrible, spooky logo throughout the decade. Matt, spiders are scary. <sighs> fuck, fuck that. <laughs> Spider, spiders are scary. Spider-Man is not. I know, like you and I both do not like that logo, but I love how much you hate it. <laughs> yeah, it's the logo I grew up with too. It's the logo I remember from the Spider-Man cartoon on Fox Kids, and even with that, I have no nostalgic attachment to it. I absolutely hate it. <laughs> Does it look okay? I have I have started doing a thing, and I have like. I've texted you this without ever bothering to explain what I was doing and why. Mm-hmm. But I have a little folder on my computer that's just labeled Spider-Man font. And that's yeah. when I take a screenshot of any time I see the Spider-Man font being used for anything else. <laughs> you have sent me unprompted texts of photos of things that use the Spider-Man font. <laughs> I think when we saw, like when you were here and we, we went to AEW, I forget who it was. No, it, I, I don't think it was you. I think it was uh, Chris Rowling. I just leaned over and I was like, Spider-Man font. <laughs> Cause I forget who was using it. Cause like Ricky Starks was using the cyberpunk 2077 logo font. Yeah. I forget somebody in AEW uses the Spider-Man font. I forget. I also yeah. forget who it is, but and you, you can't hide it. That's it's- what it is. It's not who you think it would be. It's yeah. not like Danhausen. It's so, somebody where it's surprising that they're using. Yeah, the it's somebody where it's just like this is like it's not anybody who was important enough to have anybody think about their uh, Tron video for more than a few minutes. I think. Yeah, uh, I think Batman by default wins the '90s. There are so many Batman logos from the '90s. Yeah, they're all bad. But none of them are as bad as 
the ruination of the Spider-Man logo. I mean, there's a couple of really, really good ones for Spider-Man or, or for Batman. Uh, the lo- like the logo for the start of Shadow of the Bat before it, uh, all the books kind of get the unified trade dress of just having the the movie font. Mm-hmm. Like the logo for Shadow of the Bat, the logo for Legends of the Dark Knight, all of those look good, and then they go away. Uh, and like by like you know. 99 like 98 99 they're all just that font used for everything i do have an attachment to that spider-man font i don't (laughs) i know you don't and i don't blame you because it's not good but i do have a little bit of an attachment to it i think i think batman wins the 90s the 2000s are very interesting because we talked about how the 80s went minimalist with Batman, the 2000s go even more minimalist. Yeah, like the the new Gotham logos where it's literally just sans serif white text. That just say Batman, Detective yeah. Comics. Th- that's how the decade starts. I mean, by the time we get to Hush, we're back to kind of like a different a different retro 80s logo. Yeah, well, they they bring back that, you know, you talked about the Serif logo that's on, like, the, the many deaths of Batman, the John Byrne story. Yeah. They combine the kind of angle of that one with the shape of the letters from, like, the, the 60s version of the, the logo. And like I said, that logo that's on Hush is really, really good. I mean, it's the logo I think of when I think of a Batman logo. It's a really good Batman logo because it looks like the actual drawing of Batman. It it looks like a detective story to me because it's got him kind of like turned away and it looks like he's hiding. You know, he's pulling the cape in front of him as opposed to just it being his head floating nebulously with with wings. It's a really really good logo for Batman. Spider Man's spooky logo lasts further into the two thousands than you would expect. It goes, it's around, that's the thing about that logo, it's around for a while. Like, the spooky font goes from before 94 to into the 2000s. Yes. It doesn't go away, I think, it the the real Spider-Man logo, we talk about Spider-Man's real clothes, Spider-Man's real logo doesn't come back until the JMS run starts. Yeah, in 2001. Yeah, 2000, yeah, 2001 or 2002. Yeah, it had to be 2001, because... It might have had to be 2001. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, it, it, it goes away pretty soon into the 2000s, but not as soon as you might think. Um, but at least they get that good logo back. Yeah. Uh, like there's some there's some other Spider-Man logos that are pretty good. What do you think of the Spider-Man movie logo? It's bad. <laughs> it's very bad. It's like the Batman movie logo. It's too much like the Batman movie logo. Uh, I'm glad they never used it for the comics in any way. Yeah, because it's it's not good. It's 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 a bad logo. It's just a font. They yeah. just found a font, and it's the PlayStation. It's a PlayStation 2 font. It is the PlayStation 2. Well, do you think... Okay. Is that on purpose because the film was made by Sony? Yeah, I think... I'd I'd say so. 
do you think like that's conscious like brand synergy? Probably. What's that one weird Spider-Man logo that's like looks like balloon letters? Balloon letters. You know what I'm talking about? I don't. I don't know. I I will say this. I'll, this brings Spider-Man down. The oh, it wasn't. The, it was the PlayStation Three font. So they made the PlayStation Three font the Spider-Man font as brand synergy. It was the 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 logo that I was thinking of that looks like balloon letters. It's the uh, the logo for the Spectacular Spider-Man animated series. Oh, I see. I'll, I'll tell you the logo that brings Spider-Man down. That logo is not too bad. The Spectacular Spider-Man animated series logo. The logo that brings down Spider-Man in the 2000s is uh, Ultimate Spider-Man. Not an attractive logo. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, it's well, it it starts out and it's like not even not even like a logo, or or, or not even it's not even it's not stylized at all. Well, it is. It's it, but it's like way too busy. It's very graphic design is my passion because <laughs> it's, it's the Marvel logo, then Ultimate in its own font. Then Spider-Man in the sort of kind of spooky font with a spider underneath it. That's what it looks like on the in the first on the first issue on the like the first six issues or so, and then they change it pretty early on to something that definitely looks better, but is still not that good. P- Peter Parker should be a graphic designer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he designed that costume. Like, canonically, he designed the best superhero costume that's ever existed, Matt. It's true. It's true. Do you think, like, there should be a comic where, like, the Marvel characters are, are like, hanging out. Like, Captain America should be like, man, Spider-Man's costume's so good, though. <laughs> He's a comic artist. He would know. Who wins the 2000s, Chris? I, I mean, look, the, the thing about like Spider, the the logo for the two thousands, right? The Spider Man logo for the two thousands is the classic logo. Yeah, but it's just the classic logo. Maybe they like added, like you know, they beveled it a little bit. But like, it's just the classic logo. Batman gets a new logo that's evocative of the classic logo or, or of previous logos that is better. Yeah, and also I think Ultimate Spider Man brings Spider Man down for the two thousands. Yeah. 2010s, Batman gets the worst logo that may have ever been on comics. Yeah. The new 52 Batman logo is atrocious, and it's on one of the best runs of comics ever, Scott Snyder's Batman run. It's shocking how bad that logo is. It sucks. It sucks. It's clearly like trying to like like trying to unify it with the like the Arkham logo which isn't bad like the like the Arkham logo is not my favorite Batman logo but I think it works for those games and I think it like looks readable so the new 52 Batman logo takes the shape of it but the letters are all like 
they're all at different levels for some reason. Like it's a different sizes. It's a bat like the, that a like that first a the a and the, the first a in Batman can get the fuck out of here. Yeah, it's Awful. so bad. Spider Man just retains the classic logo and comes out looking like a daisy. Yeah, you get some other stuff. Like, there's that logo that was on um, Friendly Neighborhood that they kept around for um, for a couple of other different things. Like, that that becomes the logo for the Ultimate Spider-Man TV show. Yes, um, yeah. The There's the kind of corporatized Spider-Man logo that is, that's on, like, toys and stuff. Uh-huh. Where it's it's a version of the original logo, but it's instead of being angled down, it's angled up. Yeah, uh, that uh, logo's not bad. That lo- I I don't mind that logo. Yeah, you get the 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 movie, the new movie logo, which is honestly it's it's kind of a bunch of nothing. It literally just says Spider Man. Yeah, in yeah. in letters. <laughs> yeah, but it's fine. I, but but by default, I think Spider Man wins the 2010s. You you also get the the ret- w- odd return of the web of Spider Man logo in the Miles Morales book. Yeah, and you get the uh, uh, in 2018, you get the video game logo, which I actually like too. Yeah, the video game logo is is not bad. Yeah, that I mean that video game should have had the classic Spider Man logo, like Into the Spider Verse did. Right, but. That's fine. There are good Batman logos in in the the 2000s and 2010s. Like uh the Batman and Robin logo is really really good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like there are a couple of different Batman logos that are really good. Uh but I think Spider-Man wins that one. Wins the 2010s. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just cuz of how that ba- that new fifty two Batman logo is unbelievable, and it's on those books until like last year. It's on those books like through Rebirth, I think. I mean, it's it's still a version of it even now, but it it's it's, it's much better, better now. now. Yeah, way better. The, way better. they made some subtle changes to it, but man, that go back and look at Batman number one, and that's like. Like you said, that's such a good comic to have to deal with having that logo. Buddy. <laughs> that, that, I bet that book would have sold a lot more copies if that logo had not been. Yeah, because Batman wasn't selling. It's, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that, that logo didn't do anything to help it. Well, a, th- a thing that I have kind of realized, Matt, is that um, it literally doesn't matter what you put on the cover of a Batman <laughs> comic as long as it says Batman. Like you and I care a lot about these logos and most people have stopped listening to this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, we'll try to bring it back with this next list, which was sent to us by Jolene. Oh, okay. This is, this is an interesting one. I'm not even sure that I'm qualified to do this one, but I think we can probably put our heads together and get there. Okay. Uh, The crimes of Selena Kyle Versus the crimes of Felicia Hardy. I mean, like, I feel like in terms of crimes, Catwoman's going to win, like, ten times out of ten. Well, until Jed McKay shows up. Black Cat doesn't debut 
until 1979. Yeah, that's wow, that's later than I thought. Yeah. Uh first appeared in Amazing Spider-Man number 194. She she's got a lot of catching up to do on on Catwoman. The 70s are kind of like we can't even really do, right? Yeah. Cuz Black Cat is around for just a few months of yeah. the 70s. Catwoman has a very product- productive and very good 80s. Yes. Strong 80s for that character. Black Cat is is you know, cool and and finding her footing in the 80s, but like I don't think she stacks up to Catwoman. Can you remember any specific crimes Felicia Hardy has committed? Not really. I I mean, I think I think in fairness, I think we should just compare the characters. Like the, the question was about the crimes, Matt. Yeah, okay. I mean, the answer is no. I not until Jed McKay in the 2020s. <laughs> yeah. Like <laughs> Catwoman uh, robbed that Shrek's department store in the nineties. In the nineties, and uh, uh, Catwoman did a lot of cool stuff in the two thousands. I could not tell you a a. I honestly, and I say this, you and I have read a lot of Spider Man comics. We've talked about it. I cannot tell you a crime committed by Felicia Hardy before the twenty twenties. Besides stealing Peter Parker's heart? Yeah. Yeah. That's the problem, right? Like, I don't think Black Cat wins any of these. Yeah. Like, until the 2020s when we have definitely read the Black Cat series, and I have not read uh, a Catwoman book in some time. I mean, I read some issues of Batman Catwoman. Oh, yeah. I, I would not. I mean, that book is maybe should be a crime. Yes. But yes. it's, you know, it's it's still legal for now. <laughs> We're working on it. We're lobbying. Black Cat is, is definitely making a case for herself. Now. Right yeah, now. Yeah, I mean, she, you know, she made that, she made that uh, Iron Cat suit. That ruled. That ruled, but uh, from from the 1980s through the 2010s, I think Catwoman takes them all. Yeah, afraid so. Uh, all right, and also Thank- Catwoman might have been up to some really good crimes that I just don't know about. True. Uh, well, thanks, Jolene, uh, for sending that in. Uh, Patrick gives us this uh, battle. Uh, Buck Rogers versus Flash Gordon. This is the wrong podcast to ask that question to. If you if you wanted Buck Rogers to win anything, <laughs> in the name of the show. I I don't I know nothing about Buck Rogers. I think the one decade Buck Rogers might have a chance in. Is the seventies because there was that Buck Rogers in the twenty fifth century TV show that I did actually watch some like reruns of and like when I was a kid. 
Uh, but it 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 only barely aired during the seventies because it started well, in nineteen seventy nine. Yeah, and I, and I guess it's uh, nineteen eighty when Flash Gordon really wins that one. Right. Yeah. Does Duck Dodgers count? Patrick does say that it incl- this includes movies, TV shows, RPGs, cartoons, comics, parodies, whatever. So I we mean, could it, include Duck Dodgers. Yeah, the, Duck Dodgers is going to make a strong case, but those are li- that's literally the one thing I know about Buck Rogers. Uh, Duck Dodgers. When did that the Duck- question is phrased like there is so much media, and I guess there is. I believe you that you know parodies, RPGs, comics, everything. I believe you that those exist, but I have a hard time getting my head around that being true. <laughs> like, I Duck fully Dodgers. believe you're right to, to mention all those things. I just cannot conceive of a world where that is the case. Duck Dodgers in the 24th and a half century, the cartoon short, was released in 1953. I mean, that's a good one. That's a good one, yeah. I mean, takes I, feel like, I feel like most of the battling is going to happen in the 30s and 40s. <laughs> yeah, you might have to ask Benito about those. <laughs> I mean, just just based on our proclivities, we're we're going to give those decades to Flash Gordon, probably. Yeah, he saved every one of us. The, I mean. <sighs> Let's see. Okay, so there was a Buck Rogers comic strip that lasted from the late 20s to the 60s. And I know there was a radio show that was in the 30s. But I'm going to definitely like Flash Gordon better than any of that. Yeah, I I feel very unqualified to answer that one. All right. We we gave a couple of winners of a couple of decades on that one, but mostly yeah. had to disqualify. <laughs> well, we have one more line stepper battle of the decades list, and it is uh, from Patrick Gertner. Uh, and this this one is interesting. It's Spider Man versus Dolly Parton. Oh damn! Damn. Okay. Damn. Spider-Man's as good as he ever is in the sixties, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But I mean, like, I, I, I guess, I guess Jolene comes out in seventy-four. Yeah. And I like, will always love you. Also comes out in seventy-four. I think Do- Dolly's best output. Is in the seventies and eighties. Yeah, she's she wrote out Jolene and I will always love you in one day. By the way, yeah, yeah. She had some songs in the sixties, and they're good. Don't get me wrong, but they are made completely under the thumb of Porter Wagner. Yeah, the devil his own self. Yeah. So her, there's her first big hit, "Dumb Blonde," which is a great song. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but there's like, just because I'm a woman 
and like a lot of like you know early songs that are pretty good but she really breaks out with the good shit in the 70s yeah there's i say this as someone who loves spider-man there is nothing that spider-man did in the 1970s that's as good as that guitar riff in jolene there's nothing that spider-man did in the 70s we talk about spider-man doing the thing in the 60s Mm -hmm. and how that makes us emotional I get similarly emotional about 1972's In My Tennessee Mountain Home. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's, like, do, like Dolly in the 70s, fucking untouchable. Yeah. Okay. The 80s. Is, this is, this is the question, Matt, that you and I have to answer. Is Craven's Last Hunt better than Hard Candy Christmas? <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say nine to five. I mean, all, like also that, like, like, is the alien costume saga better than nine to five? The song, and the song and the movie. Like, if we're talking about Dolly Parton's entire oeuvre. It's a really good question. Spider-Man and Dolly Parton had very similar decades in the nineteen eighties, where. The to- their tones Dolly went to Secret Wars. Uh-huh. Their tones shifted. That's they true. Had to, they had to adapt. Yeah. Dolly went more pop. And Spider-Man got a darker edge. Yeah. I don't know. I think Dolly... <laughs> I think Dolly wins the 80s. I think Dolly wins the 80s, man. Um... Here's the thing. Well, he, well, here's here's something that might shock you, Matt. Mm. Um, according to Wikipedia, Dollywood opened in 1961. That can't be right. Wait, what? No, no, no. Okay, no. It was opened in early 1961, called Rebel Railroad. I'm gonna say that does not affect Spider Man's win. Dollywood no. proper opens in the 80s. Yeah, that makes sense. The 90s are a tough one because Spider-Man has kind of a down decade in the 90s. He goes through it, yeah. And Dolly kind of has a down decade in the 90s too. Well, Dolly kind of has a down decade in the 90s, but keep in mind that I Will Always Love You charts again in the 90s because of Whitney Houston. And Dolly gets that money. <laughs> that is true. Like, and you, and you know, like Dolly's version also gets back on the charts because country stations are playing it. Because with the true. Whitney Houston version is so popular. Okay, she gets paid, but her popularity wanes as as a recording artist, and she starts doing more. I mean, but. Probably because she gets paid, she starts doing projects that are less commercially focused. So she starts doing like bluegrass albums and stuff. Yeah, in the nineties. Yeah, I don't know. Like I think that might be because there's good Spider-Man stuff in the nineties. I was gonna say like you know, I I I I, in the nineties I feel like I would have rather ridden the Spider-Man ride at Universal than gone to Dollywood. 
which is what happened. Mm-hmm. I yep. went to Universal and rode that Spider-Man ride like five times. You know, th- <laughs> there's no animated series bringing people in in the 90s. I mean, look, I went to Dollywood multiple times in the 90s. And I rode that Spider-Man ride at Universal. So, for me, it's kind of a wash. The 90s are kind of a wash. 90s are kind of a push for Spidey and and Dolly. Like, they're still good. But, you know, they go through a bit of a downturn. Yeah. 2000 Spider-Man. Absolutely, 100%. 100%. Good Spider-Man movies. A big upswing, no pun intended, for Spider-Man comics get really really good again i I think there's no question spider-man wins the 2000s 2010s are when dolly comes roaring back dolly dolly does come back but i mean spider-man's really good too spider-man's really good but like you can set your watch to dolly like dolly kind of sat out the 2000s a little bit. And then she, it, like, it, at the end of 2009, she says, I'm doing it. And she's everywhere. She starts doing everything in the 2010s. Like, movies, releasing new music, like, working with Miley Cyrus. Yeah. Her goddaughter. Yes. Like teaming up with other huge name country stars. Uh, Like Dolly did it in the 2010s. Yeah. Yeah. I think the 2010s have to be hers. 2020s. It's Dolly. Dolly wins the 2020s. I'll tell you that right now, even though it's only 2023. Wow. That's a hell of a prediction. Spider-Man didn't make the COVID vaccine. You know what? You're right. Yeah. Wow. She she really got in early. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. Like, <laughs> sorry. I believe in the, the power of stories and all that. You know, like me and Neil, we talk about it all the time down in the kitchen. Stories are great. Spider-Man, he's inspirational. Dolly fucking made the COVID vaccine. <laughs> She funded it, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, man. J. Jonah Jameson funded the Scorpion. We still blame him for that. That's that's true. She also got inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2022. Good for her. Even though she didn't want to get inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because she was like, I'm not a rock musician. <laughs> they put her in anyway. Yeah, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is, has a pretty nebulous definition of rock and roll and fame. <laughs> yes, but you know what? Dolly, I think Dolly is rock and roll and is absolutely, definitely famous. I mean, that's true. Well, folks, that cleans it up. That does everything for uh, for Battle of the Decades. If If I somehow missed yours... Let me know, and I'll try to make it right uh, if you're a line stepper. But otherwise, we're closing the book right here on Battle of the Decades. I apologize uh, that we do not have any the requisite knowledge of Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we named our show after a Flash Gordon quote, and 
that's kind of all we got. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like, I mean, that movie's good. That Jeff Parker, uh, Doc Shaner series was really good. Yeah, it was. Cool costume. It was. Don't know a thing about Buck Rogers. Oh, we got to tell you what Thursday Night Raw is. That's right, man. We got to talk about Thursday Night Raw. Uh, all right, Chris, we're almost, we're running short on time here. So okay. give a quick rundown of, of Thursday Night Raw. Thursday Night Raw. This is our new project. It's a it's a ranking game, like we like to play, like every story ever, or uh, or uh, World Heavyweight Champion. You you know the stuff that we've done in the past. Uh, it's going to be one of those. But we're going to talk about what are the absolute rawest moments in comics. What do I mean when I say rawest moment, Matt? I'm talking about that shit that makes you take your shirt off. I'm talking about like when you get so hype, you've got to like stand up and like spin around, even if you're just home alone. That's what I'm talking about. Uh huh. Like the 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 fist pump moments, the hell yeah moments, the the, the that kind of thing. And the, the one that we're gonna start with, the benchmark. This is the one that we always talk about. I I don't think we're gonna do a a a top and bottom on this list. I think we're just doing. Just the top, like like going for the best ones. So the one here's the one to beat everybody. You know that shit where Jim Gordon throws Flash the bat. Uh huh. Woo. That's that's what I'm talking about. So here's what you're going to be sending us, listeners. Right now the list is just Jim Gordon throws Flash the bat. That shit where Jim Gordon says. It's been 15 years since I've had to take down a Green Beret, but he deserves a handicap. And he throws Flash the baseball bat, and then he beats the shit out of him. Woo! That is, that's, that's good stuff, buddy. Send us one moment from comics that you think is rawer than that. I want nothing but top shooters here. Yeah. Because honestly, if we determine that the moment is not raw, it, it will not be ranked. It will not be ranked. This list is going to be only prime raw moments. Okay? So send us your best top shooter for the rawest moment in comics. That's what you're going to be sending us. Yeah. Uh, we can provide some more examples. Uh, if need be, like if, if people, uh, aren't quite getting what we mean, uh, by we want that shit that's animal raw. Cause that's what we're looking for. We're looking for something that's animal raw. Uh, we yes. can provide some more, some more examples, but maybe we can do that when we, we get to it on the, the show proper. Yeah. And you can ask us for more examples in a number of ways. You can email us at warrocketpodcast at gmail.com. That's where you can send in your Thursday Night Raw submissions. It's where you can send every story ever list. It's where you can let us know if you want to sponsor the show. All that stuff is right there. You can uh, get in touch with us on Tumblr, warrocketpodcast.tumblr.com. We're on Twitter at warrocketpod. And we have a Discord. You have to be in invited to be a member of the discord so ask us for an invitation 
on one of those places I just mentioned, and, and we'll get one to you if you ask us nice. You can also check out our website, which is warrocketajax.com. It has every episode of the show that we've ever done, going back to 2009. War Rocket Wiki is the fan-run repository of all things War Rocket Ajax. The Thursday Night Raw list should be there uh, after we get going with it. If you want to find me and my stuff, I'm at mattdwilson.net. It's where you can find links to my books, my comics, my other podcasts, and my social media accounts. Chris, where can people find you? Everybody can find me at the-isb.com. That is my website, and it has links to everything that I do. Just to point of clarity, we only want comic book moments, right? We're not taking yes. movie or video game or professional wrestling moments. Yes, I think if we add too many things to the mix, this will become unwieldy. Mm-hmm. So send us only moments from comic books. If you believe that we may not have read the comic with the raw moment that you're suggesting, make sure that you include what comic the moment is from. And at the very least, I'll go check it out. Okay. Um, Cause I, I want to be able to give everybody submissions a fighting chance. Just shoot for the top of the list. That's what I'm asking everybody to do. All right, that does it. We'll be back next week. I think we might talk about uh, Mark Roomwald. And, I think and that how much we love those comics. That might just be what we do. Yeah. We're getting we're getting through that run. We've got some we've got some stuff to look forward to in those. We definitely uh, do. But we will be back for that. Uh until then everybody, uh welcome to 2023 welcome back to war rocket ajax thank you for listening don't forget black lives matter trans rights are human rights as are abortion rights and we love you we love you